My brothers and sisters, today I'd like to speak about hell and the need for repentance. And uh, it's good to begin by drawing our attention to our second reading, St. Paul, where he sets up an analogy. The Israelites passed through the waters of the Red Sea and were all on their way to the promised land. Unfortunately, though, many of them sinned before they got there. Consequently, St. Paul says, God was not pleased with most of them, and they were struck down in the desert. So also, Paul is saying, we Christians who have been saved through the waters of baptism can, in fact, sin and never make it to the promised land of heaven. Unrepented mortal sin deprives us of heaven and sends us to hell. We see this in our gospel, too. The parable of the barren fig tree shows us that God, in his mercy, gives us ample time to bear the fruit of repentance. Nonetheless, if we don't repent, our fate is to be cut down. Again, here, too, we see that our unrepented mortal sin cuts us off from eternal life and sends us to hell. At the end of time, Christ will come as judge. The dead will be raised. And those who have sinned mortally, without repenting, will be sent, both body and soul, to hell. Now, there are two types of punishment in hell. The main punishment, the punishment that makes hell what it actually is, is called the punishment of loss. That is, the loss of God. The other type of punishment is called the punishment of sense. That is, punishment that comes from created things, tormenting the various senses of the person who's in hell. First, let's talk about the punishment of sense. One of these punishments will be the close and suffocating presence of all the other damned. Even though hell will be unspeakably vast in size, the person who is sent there will experience it as utterly narrow and constricted. He will have the overwhelming sense that there's no room to move or to breathe. This is so because he will be pressed together with all the other inhabitants of hell. In Psalm 49, it says, Like sheep, they are appointed for hell. Death shall be their shepherd. So imagine, if you will, I don't know if there's any farmers out there, people who've lived on a farm. Imagine sheep herded together in wintertime, pressed up close to each other. In the Apocalypse, it is written of Christ that on Judgment Day, he will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. So imagine a winepress with bunches of grapes pressed together, trampled upon, crushed. That gives us some idea of how the damned in hell will be pressed close together. The person who is sent to hell will be tortured in his sense of sight by the frightening appearance of his fellow inmates. While the damned were on earth, through their sin, they chose to deface the image of God in which they were created. And so it's fitting that in hell, their actual physical image will be deformed and unspeakably hideous. The person who is sent to hell will also be tortured in his sense of hearing 
by the constant clamor of shrieks and moans. There will be no intelligent conversation in hell, just endless wailing. The damned will forever cry out in pain, shouting blasphemies at God and curses at one another. Also, innumerable demons will be present with the damned, not only as their fellow inmates, but also in some sense as their masters. Because in this life, sinners willingly submitted to this, to and subject themselves to the sinful suggestions of the demons, in hell, such sinners will continue to be subjected to and dominated by them. The demons will intimidate them, almost kind of like terrorize them into submission. Now, I'm not talking about guys with red jumpsuits and pitchforks, okay? Demons, of course, they don't have bodies, but in hell, God will allow them to assume horrible forms, far worse in appearance than even the damned human beings. In the Gospel, when the Lord Jesus speaks of hell, he mentions the worm that does not die. This is a distinct uh, torment in and of itself. The worm has been understood in our tradition as a metaphor for the remorseful conscience of the damned. The person who goes to hell will be tortured by his own conscience, which will never cease to remind him of the foolishness of having paid for just a, a brief moment of sinful pleasure an eternity of torment. doesn't make any sense. For a mere trinket, for nothing, he's given up his very soul. His conscience will also never cease to remind him of how little he had to do to be saved. All he had to do was repent. It was so easy. Repent. Turn back to God. Confess your sins. Do penance. Get yourself out of the near occasion of sin. It was so easy. Why didn't I do it? Why didn't I do it? These and more will be the thoughts that will torture him forever. And then, this is probably the most sensational, maybe, of all the... the punishments of sense, there's hellfire. Hellfire is real. It, it, it exists. Imagine being burned at the stake, how excruciatingly painful that would be. And yet this pain would only be just a distant echo of the pain inflicted by the fires of hell, which will engulf the damned, devouring them but without consuming them. Jesus says in the gospel, depart from me, you cursed. And he says, not to, but he says, into everlasting fire. The damned will be actually immersed in fire. There will be an abyss of fire beneath them, an abyss of fire above them, an abyss of fire on every side of them. If they touch or see or breathe, they will touch and see and breathe fire. And this fire will not only surround them, but it will permeate every fiber of their bodies. Now, my brothers and sisters, my description of hell up into this point is really just a faint image of the real thing. Hell is unspeakably worse than words can express. And what's more, all the punishments I've so far described are not even really the main punishment of hell. They're merely supplementary. The main punishment of hell it's not the torment that comes from the presence of any created thing, but from the absence of something, the absence of God. And that's what really makes hell what it is. And in fact, 
the saints say that if they could just have the vision of God, if they could just enjoy the presence of God, they would willingly undergo all the other torments of hell, just so as to have the presence and the vision of God. The punishment of loss is by far the worst part of hell. Man was created for God. To lose forever the very purpose for which he was created is nothing less than the complete and everlasting failure of his very existence. My brothers and sisters, I have spoken of hell here without ornament, without exaggeration. Everything recounted here is the teaching of the Bible and our Catholic tradition. And so in closing, in light of this sobering truth, what ought we to do? Our responsorial psalm says, Merciful and gracious is the Lord, slow to anger and abounding in kindness. Indeed, God is slow to anger. He is very patient with us. As in our gospel, he delays our judgment and prolongs our opportunity to repent. Let's not respond to God's patience by prolonging our conversion. Let's not presume to take advantage of God's mercy. This Lent, let's examine our lives. If we are in mortal sin, let's get to confession and from here on out, live lives free of mortal sin. If after a thorough examination of conscience, we're not aware of mortal sin, let's thank God for that and continue to examine our lives very closely on a regular basis, praying for the grace to persevere in God's friendship until the end. And in this way, we'll go to heaven and not to hell. Now, for those who'd like a refresher uh, as to some examples of mortal sins, because it's mortal sin that sends you to hell, I'll put up on my website when I post this homily three different examinations of conscience varying in length and specificity. The shortest one of these focuses just on examples of mortal sins. Uh, and I've printed some of those out and I've placed them in the back uh, on the table near the bulletins. You're welcome to take one on your way out of church.